hosted on dimlywit.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Tina. And this is Obsessed with the Best. We're two New York City gals who are bringing you the best of the best of all things beauty, wellness, and inspirational women. We've tried it all and can't wait to tell you what's worth obsessing over. Join us each week as we share our favorite products and trends and chat with leading female founders and experts. Welcome to Obsessed Obsessed with with the Best with with Alex and Tina. Tina. Alex, I have to tell you about my night last night. I really need to hear. I, had I saw the, some pics. I had the coolest experience. It was so emotional. It was so amazing. Um, so last night, for anyone who doesn't know, was the first official reopening of Broadway shows. Um, the first two shows to open were Hades Town and Waitress, the musical. And I was invited by a dear friend of mine to the opening night of Waitress, starring Sarah Bareilles. And to, I have like goosebumps even just recalling it right now. It was the most magical experience and the energy was like electric in the room um they were super diligent about getting everybody's vaccination and like checking your id against it you got into the theater everybody had to stay masked and before the curtain like they they literally like dimmed the lights for to start the pre-show speech and everyone leapt to their feet in like raucous applause Okay, I had some other friends that went and all I was seeing were these Instagram stories of a standing ovation like literally before the show even started. Yes. So like the lights dimmed and it like broke out into like it was like a rock concert. And then the curtain came up and Sarah Bareilles was standing there and people leapt to their feet again. And the first number of the show is called Opening Up. And it was like so emotional. So like opening up and everyone in the audience is just screaming and applauding. Any cast member that walks on stage, they get a huge welcome of applause. You look around and everybody is wiping their eyes. And I mean, they're probably, I think I already said this, but seven standing ovations throughout the entire show. After every single number, we leapt to our feet. It was so emotional. And then to add on top of all that, um, there... There's an actor, his name's Nick Cordero. And if you're part of the theater community at all, you've heard of Nick Cordero and his wife, Amanda Klutz. And Nick is a Tony nominee and he was in A Bronx Tale and he was the original, um, in the original cast of Waitress. He was on Broadway multiple times, Rock of Ages. Um, but he originated the role of Earl in Waitress on Broadway. And he very, very tragically died of COVID-19 last summer. And Waitress paid the most beautiful tribute to him. They did. Um, well, I saw Amanda Amanda Klutz was there. Yes. So Amanda Klutz, his wife, was there. They, from now on, in any waitress production around the world, they always have a, a big board um, as part of the set that has all the names of the different pies that are made in the pie shop. So it's like, um, like dark chocolate oasis pie and... Um, slice of heaven pie and blah 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 all this like all these different names for these pies well they added another pie and it was called a big old slice of live your life pie and live your life is a very special uh phrase for anyone that knows the Nick Cordero story because he was a a singer songwriter and he had this song called live your life that his wife Amanda would play at three o'clock every single day when he was in a coma trying to wake him up and and she got everybody around the world to play this song at three o'clock and as sort of this joint community effort in prayer to to wake Nick up so um there's a there's a line in the show even that um Jenna the part that Sarah Bareilles plays says you know this is a big old slice of live your life pie and of course the audience erupts again and at the very end of the show Amanda Klutz came out on stage and they the cast sang live your life 
the song Live Your Life. And it was just, I have goosebumps thinking about it. It was oh the most wonderful tribute. It was beautiful. And it was electric. I've never been to like an opening night of something on Broadway. And not to, I'm not trying to shame any actors here or anything. But you know, sometimes when you see a show that's been running for a long time, you can tell people are just kind of, it's great. But you there's a certain energy of opening night or something special, a special night when you can just see it in the cast that they're just about ready to jump out of their skin because they're so excited. When it's Fresh. And also fresh fresh after a damn year and a half, for God's sake. I mean, everyone's just so excited to be there, to be able to be there. It was it was one of the most magnificent nights. I will never forget it. It was I, I life-changing. It was life-changing. And I feel so, so grateful to have been able to experience that. Um, Tina, that's so cool. Yeah. And also just kind of a full circle moment. Because, I mean, I remember you and I, we talked about Nick Cordero on this podcast yeah. last summer. Yes. And we were so close to – I mean, I have so many friends who were in Waitress. I have some friends who are still in Waitress. Mm -hmm. I have friends who went on the Waitress tour. I've just been very close to this Waitress cast. And it was really, really a hard time for (sighs) – a lot of people and for my friends and just kind of seeing all of that joy last yes. night on Instagram. I'm so happy you got to oh, be there. Me too. I'm so excited. I'm going to opening night of Chicago. <gasps> Fun. Which oh my God. And Lilius White is playing Mama Morton. Yes. And who's I, the Velma and the Roxy, do you know? Uh, um, This gal, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but I was literally just looking up the Roxy and the Velma. They're these beautiful, incredibly talented women. I'm following oh them God. up on Instagram, so I'll yes. I have to look them up. But um, And I'm seeing Hades Town, which I'm really excited for. Oh, I am dying to see um, that. I have not seen it. I haven't seen it yet either. But that's so fun. I'm so glad you got Me to too. go. And how did it all go? Because at first it was just you had to show your vax card, but now you do have to wear a mask. Yes. Like, I I've heard that people, once they get in their seats, take their masks off. And I've also heard that they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just want to know how did it all go? And like, how did the checking of the cards It go was so, they that? were really, really prepared. They had all these checkpoints walking in. It was super efficient, super quick. They, you know, checked your, your vaccination card against your um, photo ID. But you got an email the day before saying, here's everything you're going to need when you come to the theater. You need to have an ID. You need to have your vaccination card. And everyone was so, it was a joint effort. It was like this group community effort. And Everyone was just so happy to be there that we were all ready to do anything. So no, there was no issue with the masks. Everybody kept their masks on. There wasn't a single cell phone that that went off, which was probably a first, I think, in the in since right. I've moved to New York. I mean, there's always a cell phone that goes off or an annoying audience member or somebody talking. It was, you could hear a pin drop in the quiet moments and you could not hear yourself think when the applause was happening. I mean, it was, everyone was so tuned in and it was just like, oh my God, we're all here here together. We want to support this. We're here for this. It was wonderful. And the staff at the Barrymore Theater was wonderful and efficient and great. There was no bar, which is a bummer, but you can't really eat or drink inside the theater. So my friend Colleen and I ran across the street to Glasshouse Tavern and took tequila shots <laughs> at intermission. <laughs> And then also, I'm sure they loved it. Glasshouse Tavern is probably just so happy to be back and oh, running. Yeah. It's a very Glasshouse Tavern is a very theater hangout. Yes, spot. it totally Pre-show, is. Show post show during show now. Apparently. Yeah, during show exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really I'm fun. I'm so happy. It was so oh, much fun. Okay. Thank you. I'm glad you had such a moment of joy. I, I need one. Oh, no. Because I've been oh, no. just really feeling like 
not to bring it down. It's felt a little bit like the world is ending these past few weeks. I know. I mean, we have been, I mean, and you need that. I need this night where I just like fall in love with New York City. Like you had a night where it's like, I love New York City and this is why I'm here. But we have had two hurricanes. I mean, it's been two hurricanes. Oh my God. It's been just the nightmarish things that are happening in Florida and in Texas. Mm-hmm. It has been breakthrough Delta COVID cases. It's just, it. I felt like the trajectory of the summer was the beginning. It was like, I'm vaccinated. We're free. We're traveling. Yes. And then it would, right now, the end of the summer, I guess it's the first week of September. It just feels like, boom, like slam shut. It feels like apocalyptic. Like disasters. It feels apocalyptic. So we just, so we, in New York, we just went through Hurricane Henry, mm-hmm. which was actually, which was fine. Long Island and Montauk got the worst of that. You drove through it, but I don't think you Cur- were in like the eye of the storm. No, no, we were totally fine. I mean, it was, okay. it, we, it was uh, we, we ended up, actually, we didn't end up driving that night. We stayed. We stayed because we were too nervous to drive oh. and we drove back the next morning. Yeah. From New Jersey. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And we just went through Ida, mm-hmm. which... I am in Midtown. Tina, you're up almost like around Harlem. And we are so lucky because we live on very high points of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But I have friends in Brooklyn. I have these two photographer friends that I used to work with a bunch that literally lost their entire apartment. All their equipment, all their computers, everything. My friend Alithia, her whole first floor of her Brooklyn apartment is a goner. Like they were lucky enough to like move some of their stuff out. Like my Brooklyn friends are struggling. It was people, 17 people died. I I can't believe that. Drowned. Oh my God. That is so scary. It was crazy. And then the whole next day, the subways were shut down. Yep. And they're still so screwed up. They're so screwed up today even. Well, because our entire infrastructure just just plummeted. Like, yeah. it just couldn't hold up. Like, the subways, they don't drain fast enough. They no. can't hold up to this. Our trains are so old. I feel like yeah. we're so far behind other countries with how oh, old trains are. Oh, I think are. so, too. Did you also feel like we were so unprepared for the one that happened on Tuesday for, for Ida? Because, yeah, for, or, for Henry, or wait, because who, was, who was on Tuesday? Henry or Ida? Ida. Ida, okay. Be- Ida, because here's why. It was like, big storm is supposed to rain. And then it like didn't rain all day. Yeah. And everyone kind of forgot about yeah. it. And also didn't know how bad it was going to be. And it was flash flooding, torrential downpour. People were literally swimming through it the was, subways. Yeah. Drought, like people died. People lost their apartments. It was crazy. Subways down. And then yesterday, or the other day, the next morning, wasn't it so insane how it, you woke up and it was like the most gorgeous day It was day ever one of the after. most beautiful days I've ever seen in New York City. And it was it was almost like insulting. Like it was almost like yeah. rude <laughs> at how nice it was. Yeah. Like it was It was like those spooky. people who were in denial about like what they did when they're like blackout drunk yes. the night before. And they're like, hey, what's up? And you're like, you are. Exactly. Exactly. Like, That's what's up. That is totally New York City. I love those memes (laughs) where they're like, does anyone else feeling gaslit by New York City? 100%. Oh my God, it's absolutely New York City gaslit every one of its occupants. It it really did. I like, I just am feeling a little hot right now. Like my brain's a little hot. Like I just need a little, little I feel you. Hopefully, I'm going to have a really good magical New York City night. I think you will. I think you will. Um, Also, I have to give an update. So in our last episode with Kate, 
I was talking about this podcast I love so much, the Kristen Bell host. Yeah. And it was called Shattered Glass. <gasps> Amazing. It is not called Shattered Glass anymore oh. because there are other podcasts called Shattered Glass and they got a cease and desist. Oh. So they had to, I know. And I feel bad for them because, I mean, the podcast world, it's kind of unregulated. There are there are multiple shows yeah. with the same name. Like, there's still not a lot of rules. But anyway, it's now called We Are Supported By. Okay. And it is... It is Kristen Bell, and it's so good. Everyone really need to check it out. It's just like 10 really cool inspirational women. I love that. Ranging from Kim Kardashian to Gloria Steinem to Malala to Oprah. Like, there's a wide That's range. That's amazing. Really cool. I love Kristen Bell. I love She's cool. So she seems much. really cool. I love her. So we're going to tell you guys a little bit about what we are reading. Some old favorites, some current favorites, just some books that we cannot get enough of that we think you must must read. And first up is a little book called Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Yes. I read this book, I think it was last, I think it was like January. No, it was during the pandemic. I think I ordered it right before the pandemic and and I read it. Did you? I think you read it earlier on. Really? Like when we were... Tina, you told when me to tell you about this book it? like when we were roommates. So really? like, years ago. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like because you heard of it and then and you were just recommending it because you heard of it or if it's, it was because you'd already read it. Oh. But you are definitely the one that told me to read this. I read it long before the pandemic. It was it okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, it's unbelievably nonfiction. It reads like a fiction, but it's a nonfiction book. Um, Lisa Tadeo is a journalist, and she spent eight years uh, documenting and researching these three women. Um, there's Maggie, there's Sloane, and Lena. And they all have different demographics. Yeah. So Lena mm-hmm. is suburban housewife yep. who is trapped in a marriage. And okay, wait. Also, let me give one little note here. Yeah. Three Women is definitely, if you're yeah, if you're a younger listener of ours, it's definitely an 18 and up book. Most certainly. It's, it is very explicit. There's a lot of sexual content. It gets very dark themes. So I just want to throw that out there. Yes, it's like, very not for the teen crowd. Adult. Very adult. So Lena is a suburban housewife who's trapped in a marriage of 10 years. They're not having sex. She feels like it's not very passionate. She has an affair. Maggie, 17-year-old, who has an affair with her teacher. Mm -hmm. And Sloane is this East Coast kind of glam restaurant owner whose husband likes to have threesomes. Like, that's his thing. And Mm -hmm. she's like, do I like this? And he also likes her to have sex with other people that he picks out. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, come home and tell him about it. Yeah. And, I mean, way more layers, way more complicated. But that's just, like, the Cliff's Notes to give you some context. Yes. Well, and what I love about this book is that it truly, I mean, what was so shocking, like, and so, like, guttural for me was reading it and going, oh, my God, wait, this is actually based, this is true. These aren't, this isn't a fiction piece and it's exactly. so real it is so so real it's so real well because she took her time she took yeah. eight literally eight years mm-hmm. she followed these women she interviewed them she collected like she spent so much time putting this together so mm-hmm. it's not fake real I mean it's real real it's a writer just chronicling someone's life that she's closely following three women's life that she's closely following for eight years straight yes and and it's more than just sort of salacious um fluff sexual stories or whatever it's really a dive into desire and how women deal with their own desire with their sexuality with their um with their 
just femininity and it's really really interesting the mental um aspects that she goes through about our desire and our wants and how we go after those and the primal instincts that we have it's really really very interesting because they're they're pretty universal even though these three stories are so vastly different the the want and the desires all come from the same space you know and you you sympathize with these women so much like Nina the housewife she's not happy in her marriage and she has an affair because she just she's like I want something to look forward to I want that connection I don't have it and Maggie the 17 year old you know having uh, relations with her teacher Mm -hmm. It's not great, but you sympathize with her because he makes her feel so special and she's 17 and he's like the cute young teacher that everyone loves and he makes her feel so good and she's going through kind of a troubled time and Sloan, you can understand how she wants to keep her marriage and this is what her husband's into, but Mm -hmm. is she? And she's kind of questioning that and it's so complicated. It's so complicated. complicated. But the brilliant thing that that the author did was – she ma- she took these things that are traditionally taboo and traditionally frowned upon and looked down on and and scandalous and really made the reader understand and empathize with the wrong, the quote unquote wrongdoings of these women or these men and you you really went oh I, I get it I I would probably do the same thing it really puts you in their shoes and it instead of going well this woman had an affair with her husband that's wrong well no if you if you know the why it's because as human beings we are so much more than black and white and good and wrong good and bad we're so complex and there's a lot of gray area and i love that she really digs into that gray area and and makes you kind of question yourself and your uh moral compass and going well wait oh my god i kind of relate to this and i understand why this happened maybe this isn't such a bad thing exactly because it's not the news story the clickbait at the headline it's everything that led up to that moment starting with going into these women's childhoods Mm -hmm. and past relationships and just life circumstances and you do it's it's totally walking in their shoes you're like in there the way she writes it you're like in these women's minds all three of them and you can totally understand that they're doing their best with Mm -hmm. to just be happy and have a life doing their best to do that within the circumstances that they're given at the time. Yeah. Like that's that. That's all it is. Oh my gosh. Run, do not walk. You won't be able to put it down. You won't. You won't. It's such a quick read. It's brilliant. And I just ordered today, uh, Lisa Tadeo has a new book out called Animal and it is fiction. And I just ordered it because I was like, I have to read this. If she releases something, I'm reading it. Um, I think it's due. I heard about this. You're right. I have to get that too. Yeah. yeah. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's an incredible writer. Um, So, okay. So that's a nonfiction, but I love to read on the plane. I always feel like I get back in, if I, if I go off of reading for a while, if I have a plane ride, I'm, it's all I want to do is read. And I get like obsessed with it. And I took that a really quick trip to Las Vegas a few weeks ago and picked up the book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I think I saw you post about on your trip. I literally read it in two days. I also read Three Women in Two Days. So you guys, if you're looking for something that you just can't put down, here we go. Here's the next one. Seriously, I read this. I had two plane rides and the book was done in those two plane rides. I could not put it down. I was so entranced. It's It's a historical... Uh, fiction about this woman, Evelyn Hugo, who is, I equated her to like an Elizabeth Taylor 
Um, exactly. She's, she's a cross between a Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, that t- sort of mm-hmm. old Hollywood glamour yes. kind of it gal of the 60s. And just an absolute and total icon who had seven husbands. And she is 79 years old and she decides to sell all of her belongings and get in touch with this uh, journalist Monique, who um, she wants to give her final interview to and tell her life story and clear some things up. And it's such a an interesting look at the culture that we live in and as, as how social, well, social media really comes into play when you think about the modern day version of this. But she's like, they talk about the newspapers and the gossip magazines and these things that put these stories out about her. And if we only knew the reasoning behind these seven husbands and what happened with each one and and there's so many great twists and turns, the timeline of how it's written out, it's funny, it's thoughtful, it's um, thought-provoking, and then it's also, like, really heartbreaking. It really got pulled my heartstrings. It really does. So it was by Taylor Jenkins Reid, mm-hmm. who also wrote one of my favorite books called Daisy Jones and the Six. <gasps> yes! And it's that book is another historical fiction, and it's about this band in the 70s. And what this author does is she takes, I think, a time period or an aesthetic or something that inspires her, like a band on tour in the 70s and Daisy Jones in the 6 or like the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, kind of like 50s old, mm-hmm, 60s mm-hmm. old Hollywood glamour. And she takes all of these historical references and then creates a fictional story, but it feels so real because she's really using real references, like all of these stories really could have happened. Mm-hmm. And then there's al- always someone... There's the same. So in in Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, it's Monique who's writing her life story. Yep. In Daisy Jones and the Six, it's another gal who's a journalist who's writing about the band. And at the end, there's a big twist where you find out who that person is and why they are writing about the band, writing about the movie star in the first place. It's very... Daisy Jones and the Six is very similar... A very similar kind of setup. And I think it's a brilliant setup. It's, I, it I totally love it. It works. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I would recommend both of these books. But yeah. They got to make movies husband. out of these. Like it's such a brilliant yes. idea for a movie. I got to get Daisy Jones yes. for six. That's been on my list to get. Yeah. Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo definitely would be a really good limited series. Yes. Or movie. And really it's this This woman who started out with absolutely no money, wanted to make a name for herself in Hollywood and kind of how she got there. And it is, you're right. It it is kind of like a good beach book because you flip through it so quick, Mm -hmm. but it's really well written and really thought provoking. And it will. The ending is, it's hard. We can't talk about it anymore. I know, I know. Yeah, I know. So just, so just read it. So just just read it. Totally read it. So good. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Liz. Hey, Liz, are you schmat? I'm pretty schmat. Are you schmat? Not as schmat as I'm going to be after I listen to an episode of Learn a Little. Learn a Little? That's a stupid podcast for smart people. It sure is. Every episode, Liz and I each take a random Wikipedia article and teach the other person about it. We could be learning about anything, from the politics of West African islands to Olympic gold medalists from New Jersey. Then we quiz each other to see who wins each episode and who gets to wear the crown of schmat. So far, I have not yet won. So come laugh along and learn a little with new episodes every other Friday. Hosted by Dimly Wit and Background Joys, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Learn a little, a stupid podcast for schmat people. <laughs> schmat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
So speaking of Hollywood actresses, I just read Juliana Margulies' autobiography, The Sunshine Girl, An Unexpected Life. I love Life. her. Do you? I love her. I loved, I've loved her since ER. Same. Since oh, I didn't ER. know you loved her. Oh my God, I love her. And then The Good Wife, like I think it's I'm some of the best it. acting. Oh my God. It is some of the it's, best acting and story writing I've ever witnessed in my life. It is. So I actually, I have to tell you a funny story. So <laughs> when I first, side note, we'll get back to that in a minute. So when I first moved to New York, I had just graduated from theater school. I had never had an on-camera acting class in my entire life, ever. Okay, cut to now I've done a bunch of commercials and I've really right. been studying and I've been taking like on-camera acting classes. But when you just graduate from theater school, you don't know anything not a thing. Not a thing about the business. About all <laughs> I knew was to, I, all I knew was how to go to a musical theater audition, not, you yeah. know, a voiceover. I barely knew how to do that. Call. Yeah. Voiceover, yeah. modeling, casting, commercial audition for a play. I didn't know. You have to learn all that on your own. Okay. So I'm talking like fresh to New York City. And I get this agent and I get sent on an audition for The Good Wife. <gasps> and I have oh no idea. I have no, I'm looking at the script and I'm like analyzing it like a, like a theater mm-hmm. piece. And then when right. I get in there, there's a camera. And I have, I've, I had never at that point been in front of a camera at an audition before. And I didn't know where to look. Oh my God. And I literally, little 23 year old Alex, I literally asked, I was like, um, do I look at the camera or do I look at the, at you? Like I had so sweet. no But you know idea. what? Good for you for asking. I think that that is actually really endearing and brave because I think a lot of people probably just be like, uh, whatever. And like, freeze and flip out but at least you asked so where are you supposed to look oh my god okay so you are never supposed to look at the camera great you are supposed to look so this is a thing you learn in on camera class is it's so technical you learn all about sight lines and eye lines and when you have to pretend to talk to a bunch of people in an on-camera audition you have to place them outside of the camera and when you cross your eye line you can't look into the camera got it and you have to keep track of talking to these imaginary people and you're like, yeah, okay, okay, Ted is there, Sandy's over here, Marianne's back there, and you have to place someone outside of the camera. And when you cross, you can't look at the camera. It's it's so so. I interned for Law and Order casting when I was in college, you did? and yes, it was at Chelsea Piers. It was such a cool job, and I was in their casting office, so I was like the person calling and giving people auditions. Um, like I was calling the agents and stuff, oh, giving, I didn't out, know giving this. auditions. And at the time, um, the Mothership Law and Order was still, it was the 20th season of the main Law and Order show, and they used to film downstairs. Yes. And my last week of my internship, I got to go downstairs and watch the filming of a couple episodes. And it was so interesting because so infrequently were people actually acting together. So you'd have a scene, a two-person scene, but like Sam Watterson would get over there and he would just be in his Crocs and his suit and he'd have a scene with whoever the girl was in the in the show and she wouldn't even be there. Yeah. Somebody else would just like read her lines. He'd be like doing a full acting yes, exercise. Yes, and you have to pretend and know and that's yes. half of it. And that's very technical. And it's you so don't, technical. it's something you have to know how to do and like know what frame you're working in. And like, I'm still consistently working on it, but like, I didn't realize how technical it was. It's not just like, let go and use your imagination and like no. forget the cameras well, there. Like, As no. theater people, we so, we learned to 
go off of energy uh-huh. and the other person and react to the other person. And use but like, your whole body. Yeah. It's like, you have no. to completely change that. Yes, for it's on, like on you film. can only use your face. And so when you move your eyes from here to here, that makes a big statement. So choose where you're going to do that. And where's the person you're looking at and all these things. Like it's, it's a lot harder than anyone thinks it is. That's such a cool yeah. job. I didn't know you did that. That's I know. So cool. It was really neat. It was really neat. Um, But anyway, oh my God. Never, never. I mean, needless to say. Oh, good, Julianne Margulies. Sorry, we got... We got really yeah. off track. Okay, the good talk wife about her never book. had me back. But you know what? You live, you learn. You you so, live, you learn. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So she's one of my favorite actresses too. I didn't know we shared this, but you Love have her. to read this book. So when I was little, okay. my mom would let me watch ER with her because I was the oldest child, and she, that was like mm-hmm. the latest show. It was on at like eight thirty or nine or something, whatever on um, Thursday nights. We'd always watch Friends together, and then she'd make like Natalie and Johnny go to bed, and we I could stay up and watch ER. Oh and she was love that. my favorite, and I thought she was just this gorgeous goddess with that and curly hair. And she had the best hair. hair. Oh, that hair. <laughs> that hair. Okay. She has had an incredible life, an unusual life, a weird life. She, growing up, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but she basically didn't know what country she was going to be living in or what language she was going to be speaking because her mother would like to hop around. They'd be in Paris and then London. And then she she was like, it was the most unstable upbringing. She never knew what the hell was about to happen. So that's super interesting. How she got into the business is super interesting. And then she tells some really incredible behind the scenes stories. I mean, this story is not incredible, but she has a Me Too story about Steven Seagal, who's very, very famous and she was asked as a young 23 year old actress to go meet him at his hotel room to do uh to work a scene and some things happened that she got out of there but he had a gun in the room he was trying to make her sit on the bed like some things happened and she got out of there but she's really honest about it oh my god she also tells the story about how she left er and we were too young to be looking at the news or reading. we were little little i was watching this as a little kid i barely know what was going on but i was like oh i love her you know yeah and she turned down over $20 million to stay at ER for two more years. And she did it because she was like, I've been working so hard my whole life. I've paid, I've bought, I don't know if it was a house or apartment, whatever. She bought something. She's paying her parents' mortgages. She was like, I have money in the bank. Theater is my first love. I want to go back to New York. I want to do a play. I want to just do other opportunities. And I've been doing this show for six years. And she was like, I can, for the first time, make a choice, not about my bank account, but for what I want to do as an artist. And that was her reasoning. And she got so much shit in the press. Yes. Who does she think she is turning down this money? Like, what does she think she's going to do now? Barbara Walters. (gasps) Sorry, but have to call this out. On The View said, who does she think she is? She's no spring chicken. (gasps) Oh. Oh my God. And I mean, these are things, I mean, much like Demi Moore's autobiography, yes. like these are things where the business or the media, we think we still have a long way to go. We definitely do. But we have come a little further. Oh, we're like, that yes. would not fly. You don't call. No. She was 32 when she left no. ER. And she was being called not a spring chicken, washed up. What other job is she going to get in the media? Like that, I don't think would fly oh, now. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's a fascinating story, that journey. And then another, the other fascinating story, Tina, if you love The Good Wife, which I'm love. halfway through it, and it's some of the best writing and some of the best acting, yeah, yeah, is 
just her day to day. I don't think that anyone really knows what it is like to be the lead on a network TV show with a dense script. 23 episodes she did each season for six, Mm -hmm. seven seasons. And so her, and she's in every scene. So Mm -hmm. her, she worked 16 hour days, Monday through Friday, sometimes 22 hour days. Oh my gosh. And she had a two year old. I cannot even imagine like that schedule is schedule. Unbelievable. Is unbelievable. So hearing the behind the scenes about that, Tina, another book I read in like three days, it's called Sunshine Girl and Unexpected Life, Juliana Margulies. There's a really good interview on YouTube about it where she went on Drew Barrymore's show and Mm -hmm. she talks about ER and she talks about the Steven Seagal story if you want to like hear anything in her own words. But this book is so good. I have to get this. You can just borrow mine. Okay, great. Actually, I will. Yeah, I mean, I'll bring it to you tomorrow if you want. I would love that. Would you? (laughs) Oh my God, yes. It's It's, so good. That sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Um, Okay, so a friend of mine, I was talking to her about books and life and all these things, and she said, okay, well, this guy recommended this book to me, and I I don't know much about it, but it's called 4,000 Weeks, and I looked into it, and I didn't know, and... Maybe you don't know this either, but the average life expectancy of a human is like 80 years. So let's say you live to be 80 years old. That, when you break it down, is 4,000 weeks of life, which to me is like nothing. That doesn't sound very long. That does not sound very long. And the book is called uh, 4,000 Weeks, The Time Management for Mortals. And it's basically... It's a self-help book, essentially, if you really want to break it down. But it's unlike any other. I love self-help books. I read them all the time. But like this one's very unlike anyone I've ever read before because it's very philosophical. It's very interesting. And and I'm I'm not all the way through it yet. I'm about halfway through. But early on in the book, in the in the very beginning, it, he the author talks about like medieval farmers and how time was not something that they thought about. It was just you got up when the sun rose and you milked the cows and you took in the um, animals that you needed to and you fed your family and you did whatever you needed to do. And and you you weren't going, oh my God, I have this huge to-do list today. And if I don't accomplish it, well, I'm a Tina, failure. I've been thinking about this so much recently because I'm thinking about all the shit we buy, like a mm-hmm. sun lamp. And all these things to help us go to bed, things to help us get up. Like we're bronzing our faces because we're in the, because we're not getting enough sunlight sometimes. Right, right. We have to go make sure we get our steps in because we're sitting where people just used to like work on their feet all day and go to bed when it was dark and get up when it was light. It's really, I mean, it's, God. It's wild. But then he talks about how once, you know, the industrial revolution came along and, and factories started happening and people needed a group of people to be somewhere at the exact same time they implemented the clock and how the clock was invented and then when you'd go to fact the factory to work you were on company time so if you were taking a smoke break or reading a book or reading the news or talking to a friend you're losing money for the employer that's hired you so it got it was a a like a, uh, an, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? It progression. Was a step by, thank you, progression. It was a progression of how we got to where we are, but it became, he talks about how um, it used to be this a- abstract entity and now it's this resource that we exchange. And if, if we could only have more time in the day, we'd be happier. But by ticking off all the little tasks, because I, I'm, and he, he says these things and I'm like, wait, does he, does he know my life? Because it's literally how I operate. I'm always trying to figure out how to be more efficient, how to get more things done, how to fit more into my day. And he just says, like, the more efficient you get, the more work you will 
be given because any anytime someone knows that you're efficient and quick, they're going to give the work to you instead of somebody else. So you can answer the emails, but the email, you're going to get another email in response to that email. So the inbox is never going to be empty. It's never going to be This is like the story of my life. I feel like I feel like people, certain people like just hand off things to me because they'll yep. know I'll like check it off because I will. I can't not because I'm, I'm just, I like, know. I'm just type A like that. And we crave that crossing mm-hmm. out of the of the task. But so it's really interesting. I haven't gotten to the solutions part of the book. So I don't know okay, what the this? answers are. Uh, his name is Oliver Berkman. Okay. And yeah, it's called time or it's called 4000 weeks time management for mortals. And yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's exactly what I needed at this point in my life, because I'm feeling, you know, very scattered. And like, I'm not getting enough done. And I need more time in the day. And you know, this idea of just busy, 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 busy. And this kind of came in at the perfect, perfect time. And God, to think 4,000 weeks, I'm already halfway through. I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm at 2,000 weeks or 1,900 weeks, something like that right yeah. now. Yeah. God, that's so crazy. I mean, I know. it is. I do. I think about my life, though, and everything I do in my day is to try to give myself more time. Like, I fully, before yeah. I go to bed, I look at the next day and kind of, like, plot out exactly what I need to do. And I do everything I mm-hmm. can so that I can have a full hour in the morning of coffee podcast, book time, whatever to myself, like, because Mm -hmm. that's something that's really important. Or I like to like work ahead so that I can have that in two weeks, I have a full a few days or I have an hour or whatever it is. But don't you feel like those are things you pay for? I mean, those are the things that we I will we pay to get our apartment cleaned once a month for just three hours. And like during that time, I'm like out running errands or if I'm like getting my getting a pedicure or something, I'll be responding to emails. Like I just feel like I'm more likely to pay for some. That's where my money goes. I I'm more likely to spend money on something that gives me more time, I guess. Well, it's interesting because he he just this chapter that I just read talks about that how um, convenience is a huge commodity, and if you want to make money, you find where the pain is. So the pain of cleaning your apartment. So if you can take that pain away, somebody else does it for you, gives you time to go do other things. And he talks about how like in the fifties when the washer was invented, um, how women were like, "This is so women." What a general well, in the horrible 50s, statement, it was made. Women. but. In the 50s, the women at home doing the laundry. Okay, so you wash your your husband's shirt, and instead of having to wash it by hand and hang it up to dry and do all this stuff, you have the washer. So you put it in. You you now you have more time to clean the house or do and, and he says it. It's not it's not right. a good thing. It just adds more to your plate right. by taking by making things more convenient. By, um, you know, ordering seamless, you know, not instead of going down the block to your local Chinese restaurant and having an interaction with a human and creating that bond and having this real life experience, you just get on your phone and you order in the foods at your door and you don't even have to talk to another person. So it's interesting the way he talks about it, because, yes, convenience also sort of influences the busyness. But I'm with you because I'm the same way. I'm like, well, gosh, if I just can't cook dinner, I'm going to I'm going to order in. It or I'm it's gonna- a slippery Slow. It's a slippery slope. But I, and, you know, to that point, I'm trying to think of what I chose to do when we had – well, I went to a workout class. And that goes to your other mm-hmm. point, which is I am not working out alone in my apartment anymore because I feel like a psycho. Yeah. I'm not doing it anymore. Like I need to – it is not as convenient to like go travel to a class and pay more and travel right. back. But like I need to feel like a human being and I need to just go do that. 
you know this yeah. is so interesting yeah. there for a lot of reasons it's really interesting that's yeah you do it's, it's very interesting and it's it's sort of shining a light on some things that i'm going oh interesting. well especially okay. in new york city okay. everything is very very immediate yes. and very very fast-paced compared to yeah. a lot of other places so it's definitely something for us all to be aware of because we are all overstimulated living here at any given day 100 percent, and have to slow it down sometimes okay yeah. do you know casey wilson no. okay she, no. if you guys don't know her, Casey Wilson or Casey Rose Wilson, she is an actress. She was on SNL. She was on the show Happy Endings. She has the podcast called Bitch Sash, which is with another comedian, and they break down Real Housewives episodes every week. But oh it's God, not like that. a fan podcast. It's literally breaking down a Real Housewives episode from an SNL cast, from a comedian. Like, it is That's so hilarious. funny. Like, I cry laughing. She's also on the show um, Black Monday, which I haven't seen. She's on that. Anyway, she's a really successful comedic actress who is hilarious, mm-hmm. very successful podcast. And she has a book called The Wreckage of My Presence. Ooh, Tina, I love that title. I was crying laughing at this. It's just like these essays and these memoirs of crazy things that have happened in her life. And she's had a wild life. I mean, she moved to New York and she was doing like comedy improv shows with her best friend. And she was working for Susan Sarandon's like in her, she was, she was Susan Sarandon's assistant assistant. And so she would like collect her Susan Sarandon's like fan mail. Like when she was 23 and like, it's just like the wildest stories. It is so funny. I literally laughed. I cried. It's behind the scenes of a lot of stuff in the business, like her time at SNL, how she booked this network series, Happy Endings. Oh, I love it's that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so funny. It is so funny. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard from a book before. But she is, she's kind of a ridiculous, over-the-top person. And I literally just cannot get enough of it. It's called The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Wilson. I Tina, you'll love it. You'll love it love because that. she finds herself in the most awkward situations, but she's also an actress and she also has a podcast. Like we have a lot in common and she, she went to school for yes. theater originally. And okay. it's just so funny. It's so funny. And that's all I can say is it's, I think it's the funniest book I've ever read in my entire life. I think it's a really impressive skill as a an author or a writer to write something funny that's going to be read. I think that's a huge skill. So I actually think she is best on her podcast and as an author. Like she's a really funny actress. So that's saying a lot. Like she was on SNL. But then I'm like, wait, your book, this is funnier than... Than your characters. So many, like, yes, yes. That's, I love that. that I think that's so cool. Well, the only other books I can think of that actually made me laugh out loud ever were um, Bossy Pants by... Yes, oh my God. This is very much like that. Tina Fey, yeah, and Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. Like the two, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey. Yes. Okay, this is her, I love those two books so much. Those are also on my reading list. You guys have to read those. They're so good. They're so good. But The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Wilson is right up there with them. It's the exact, it's her version of Yes, Please and Bossy Pants. It is gold. It is pure gold. Well, gosh, I have a whole other um, reading list now. I'm trying to be more consistent with my reading. All right, let us know if you guys have any books that you want us to read or that you love. Um, we'd love to hear hear from all of you. Bye, Tina. Bye, Alex. 
Don't forget to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more content, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Patreon, and give us a follow at Obsessed with the Best Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Hosted on dimlywit.com.